Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of No Really, I'm Fine. I'm Michael Pearson and today I am joined by the extremely talented Izzy Judd. Uh, she is a violinist. She is also your Sunday Times bestselling author. Is that right as well? Yes. And you do your podcast as well. You just do everything, don't you? And your mum in there as well. I know. Whenever <laughs> I kind of people say introduce yourself, I never know which order because it seems that the end is like mum of two and wife to Harry. I'm like, but not in that order, Harry. <laughs> but no, the reason why we've got you on the podcast today is because you've spoken quite openly in the past and now again um, about your struggles with your mental health and struggles with IVF and you're bringing out a new book, which is called Mindfulness for Mums, which is now, now it, I'm not just saying this because you're here. It sits on top of my coffee table pile. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so I love that. It was always meant to be a coffee table, bedside table, dip in, dip out kind of yeah. book. No, it's nice in, in, because the, the cover, the colour of it's lovely. It's oh, nice it looks of, pretty too. There yeah, we go. <laughs> that's it because it looks nice. Um, anyway, we always start by asking um, our guests, are they really fine today? So how are you feeling today? You're are fine? you really fine? It's, it is a question, isn't it? Where we all just go, yeah fine um someone once said to me you know what the abbreviation is for fine the word fine I can't say the first word because it's too rude but if you imagine something upped and right. then insecure neurotic and emotional right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you're fine you're really fine um <laughs> but no today how am I I'm good today actually I've had a really nice start I was chatting with uh, Chris Evans on his uh, breakfast show this morning which was I've always been such a fan of him and I'm really yeah. inspired by him so I feel good I feel good today then that's good isn't it and now I'm here I know well and I should I just I was, I was just gonna say before we start we've actually had this conversation all before and yeah. we've actually already you know it's not just because you know we're just such great friends and we've we've discussed this loads of times and we actually recorded this interview before Christmas um, and we had a nightmare with the recording which the you nightmare know, happened didn't it yeah. the thing we all fear yeah the nightmare happened but we're doing it again it's fine it's actually because I remember when well when we did the interview with you at the beginning of the year well sorry at the end of last year you hadn't really done any press for your new book at all. No, it was probably the start. Yeah, yeah you're one of the first people I've kind of spoken to kind of coming out of writing. And and now you I've seen you everywhere. You've literally been you were on breakfast the other day and things like that. Like in because I've got friends who work on breakfast and like, oh we had Izzy and his arms Which is it that's like and so anyway, but um did you have a lovely Christmas and New Year in that? Yes, yeah, Christmas um unfortunately I was ill, which is just always the way, isn't it? I knew I was running myself into the ground and it was inevitable. Lola caught caught it first. I was like, I know it's coming. So I was in bed over Christmas, but then leading up to New Year, um, I started to feel a bit better. We had family around at our house. And then New Year, we actually celebrated on the 30th because we figured it would be easier to get a babysitter. So our friends did something on the 30th yeah. and we were in bed um, on New Year's Eve by 10 o'clock uh, 
But I actually saw in the new year with my little boy, Kit, because the fireworks went off and it woke him up. So I was like, okay, happy new year, Kit. <laughs> no, no. Um, but yeah, um, the reason why I want to speak to you, as I said, you know, you've been openly, particularly um, in the last few weeks and also in, in in the last few weeks and months and obviously in the past, um, talking about your struggles, firstly, about anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that's something you was in sort of at some points where that's led into depression. So I just sort of wanted to start talking about sort of your journey and then a little bit later we'll talk talk about your book mindfulness for mums in a lot more detail but first of all I just want to talk a little bit about anxiety and I think you'd said um when we spoke last time that it was something that you'd had from quite a young age and it had always sort of been there throughout your life is that right absolutely so uh I remember my first kind of experience with anxiety was as a young girl it was one of my earliest memories and Obviously, then I didn't know it had a name. I just knew that I became fearful about bedtime. And it wasn't so much that I thought there was a monster under the bed or the dark. It was being alone. It was just suddenly feeling like everything outside was quiet. And it was, you know, the world, it kind of felt like the world had stopped. That's what I remember. And I would often go to sleep, okay, but then would wake up in a panic when my legs would shake and... It would be, I'd want to get to my parents' bedroom, but I didn't feel I was too frightened to get there. Um, But obviously now I understand that that is panic. But at the time I didn't know what it was. And that's almost more frightening. And then growing up, I was perfectly like capable, you know, I was confident at school. I was playing the violin, so I was doing concerts. I loved dance and drama. So on that side of things, I was absolutely happy it was just being it was just bedtime where the anxiety reared and then any time through my life when I went through period of change or feeling out of control the anxiety would trigger again and obviously there's no greater time than becoming a mum of change and feeling out of control but I've learned over the years really how to manage my anxieties and almost I mean friends is probably quite a strong word but almost become friends with it allow it to be part of me and that it's actually there to protect me and help me a lot of the symptoms that you feel with anxiety whether that's um you know, you become very sensitive to light, but it's actually because if you were faced with danger, you're naturally letting more light in so you can see your heart's running fast, you know, beating faster so you can run away. So you, although it's got mixed up along the way because your fear is irrational fear, although it feels very real to you, there isn't a, a tiger in your face, but you feel those symptoms. So really I've, I've started to understand a lot more about it and how I can manage it and obviously for me mindfulness has been the thing and the glue that's helped me through um through it I I was literally just gonna say because I love that word friendship with with anxiety and I'm guessing the only reason you were able to see that you were able to have a friendship with anxiety and things like that was because of mindfulness is that right yeah when I had this light bulb moment of making myself aware that mindfulness is basically being in the present moment. It was a light bulb moment 
where I just realized that I was so caught up in the story of fear. I was creating fear. I was, my thoughts, they weren't reality. And the anticipation of something was much more frightening than the reality of it. And when I realized that I could stop these thoughts and practice noticing when my mind was running away from reality and creating these stories by using mindfulness, by bringing yourself back to the present moment and by using um, tools and exercises really, really helped me to manage my symptoms. And when I stopped practicing mindfulness as a mum, because I felt I didn't have time, slowly the symptoms started to creep back in. You mentioned before about you were a musician and you sort of always been surrounded by music. I was, there was that there's absolutely fantastic video you put up on Instagram just before Christmas where you were sort of playing Frozen on the violin and was it like playing like yeah. and I just think and I just like I for me music is is such a safe space for me you know it's not maybe not for everyone but it's such a safe space for dealing with thoughts and dealing with and, and do you think that's the same for you with with music 100% like I grew up in a musical family and one of four my parents were in a music school I've realized that actually over the years my music has been mindfulness you all your senses are are open and you are focusing on music it's something you you enjoy and it obviously releases all those happy endorphins and you can connect to the lyrics and then as a mum obviously sharing those moments with Lola and Kit it's a way to just instantly distract them from meltdowns or um, the lack of not wanting to share a toy Um, and music's definitely so has been really important throughout my life and also now as as a mum. You talk a lot about you know being a mum, being a family was something, it was, was wanting to have a family, something that was really key for you, you know, growing, I, mean, it, I mean, for some people it isn't, some people mm-hmm. it isn't, but was that something you always wanted? It's an interesting question that because my previous book was all about our struggle to conceive, it was called Dare to Dream and it was our uh, story. I had fertility treatment for Lola. Um, she's an IVF baby, something I feel very proud to share and talk about and I think being one of four and growing up in a big family I don't think I really stopped to ask myself whether I wanted to be a mum I think I just thought it was naturally what would happen next yeah, the, the reason why I asked the question was because obviously you, you, you it seemed like when you met Harry for those who don't know, know your husband is Harry Judd from McFly and mm-hmm. Strictly Come Dancing Strictly. as, you, as you some s- people know him from it's really funny when I'm like it depends on people's age usually as to or whether they're fans of the show or whatever who who's yeah who how they know him <laughs> I think for me it'll always be McFly because okay, I remember good, my, good. my sister always loved McFly and I just remember but anyway but you know yeah. some people will be strict, but you, you because it's interesting that's sorry that to not to go off topic of it but how you met Harry as well because you were you were as well in yourself you're right you were in Britain's Got Talent I remember you're in Scala that's, that's right and right. um, I think because it wasn't it called Scala and then they changed the name and then that's it uh, yeah we had to add an e because there was another group called Scala so we became a Scala <laughs> which is and and that was interesting and you're right because you were on a television program in a talent competition which is you know one of the biggest programs still on our televisions every year and you were 
and, and you met him when you were both touring or did you go touring with him or something? So or? I actually met Harry and the other girls from Scala at the same time. So I was booked to go on tour as an independent uh, freelance musician and there was a string quartet, female string quartet and the girls from that quartet, we then went on to form a Scala because we loved playing um, together and we kind of formed this bond, which we... Yeah, so we decided to go on, and on that tour, I also met Harry. So it was it was a pretty good, good tour to say yes to. You know, this whole thing about saying yes yeah. to things. Uh, had I not said yes, wonder what that kind of sliding door moment would have been. But, yeah. but yeah, so it was a, it was it was a good fun way to meet. And and that's and I just because to go back to the reason why I asked you the question was because when you met with him, you obviously, you came together really happy, had a lovely time. And then you thought, right, we want to have children. And then, and then it turned out that actually wasn't so simple. Yeah. And you spend your whole teenage years trying not to get pregnant. And then when you want to get pregnant, it's the hardest thing ever. And it's something shared by so many couples. Uh, And still, you know, we're beginning to talk about it more. It's really difficult to talk about it miscarriage affects so many women uh, and couples and you know all aspects of fertility whether it's women um or men or whatever it's something that is affecting I think one in seven couples and we were one of those couples and it was incredibly difficult time I lost a lot of confidence I really didn't want to go out I would Harry would often go to events by himself because I I didn't know what to say when people would say, oh, so do you want a family? Because it was, it was just so painful. And I uh, really, really fell down a hole pretty quickly. And then I sort of realized that, okay, uh, we're not going to be the couple that are going to um, conceive on our honeymoon or um, I'm not going to be that person that just relaxes and falls pregnant. Um it's going to take time and it's going and and the sort of the moment I changed my perspective on it and I started to think about looking after myself as a whole so I had polycystic ovarian syndrome and looking at your your diet and blood sugar was really important so nutrition became important Uh, my overall um well-being whether that was yoga practicing mindfulness um doing the things I loved, saying no to the things I didn't want to do and just really shifted how I, how I was. So when we actually decided to go ahead with IVF, I was probably in the best place mentally. Um, and it was kind of the doctors that took over me physically, but I was able to take charge mentally of how I was going to deal with the process. I know in, in the, in the, in the book you mentioned, I think it's uh, maybe at the beginning of the book you mentioned about how, you when you went or maybe this was in your first book I can't remember sorry the you said somewhere about how when you went in to go into the the clinics and things like that there was you there was maybe like a bit of a stigma around going into the clinic so you felt a bit um embarrassed or sort of like you didn't want to go into the clinic and things like that so like there was that there's that and that affects you as well doesn't it yeah that was that was absolutely in dare to dream in my first book and I naively thought that IVF was for older couples and I was only just, well, late 20s, early 30s and I felt a bit embarrassed to go, which is ridiculous and uh, that was why I felt quite strongly to be open about the way that Lola was conceived so that other women don't feel and couples don't feel so alone and also 
to I knew what it felt like to see a pregnancy announcement when you're trying for a family um and I just wanted to be honest about how we got there mm. and so when you um had the the IVF and and you you then it was a successful I, I, I'm gonna say all the wrong words here so I'm not gonna oh, don't say, worry. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, they say the all the, say the all wrong professional words should I say but um when you had that and then you you actually found out that you had miscarried and mm. that's an absolutely world bringing down thing especially when you were saying there before that you were being sort of brought up you know they, they you were having to look after your mental health mm. on your own is what mm. you said there so when you you know I don't know if you you're willing to sort of talk about you know the miscarriage and how you felt there yeah so again you know Harry and I talked about the fact that he just hadn't considered miscarriage because he thought we've gone through so much to conceive and we've had IVF. Surely our story is now not that we're going to miscarry. You know, we wouldn't be that unlucky. And even though the miscarriage was relatively early, it's still a grief. It's still a loss. And it's still something that I think about. I wonder who that baby was. I, I wonder what I did wrong. I wonder, yeah, if it was something I did, um, it's it's a hard thing, miscarriage, and I think a lot of couples go through it in silence. And and it becomes an incredibly lonely thing, doesn't it? Very isolating. Yeah, you feel very isolated and you feel um, empty, very empty. Even if, even if you have the best support network in the world, I'm mm. guessing you, you still felt like that, I'm guessing. Yeah, and Harry and I just took it in turns to cry, really, to hold each other whilst the other one was upset and then you know we sort of swap over it was a very difficult time and I remember when we spoke last time you said that you wanted to try for a child straight away but Harry sort of said no and and do you when you look back on that do you think that was the right decision yeah it was completely the right decision I think naturally I suppose everybody deals with these Uh, situations differently but for me it was a case of right well I need to go back we need to get going again you know it's that feeling of I don't want to waste more months more time but actually something I didn't know about miscarriages you bleed for a very long time after a miscarriage it's not something that just stops it's goes on and on and on and it's this constant reminder for about six weeks um and you think not only mentally but physically preparing yourself from the trauma before you go back and do do another round. And we had two frozen embryos. Lola is one uh, of those. And so we went on to have a successful frozen embryo transfer and that was Lola. And so we now have another one, uh, which I actually went to see at the clinic. I went to, because I asked them, could I see where you keep the embryo? So we went into this room. And it was like this cylinder on the ground and they all these codes and locks and everything else. They lifted off the top and all this dry ice came out and they just pulled out and it just says Judd and a number on it. And there it was. And you just, it's quite tough because there's a lot of embryos there and of so many peoples. And you have to sign these forms to say whether you want to keep them in storage, you know, what you want to do. And it's quite hard. 
my goodness, that's so, so, yeah. so pa- it must have been so. I mean, that story sounds so powerful. I've never, you never knew. And that, that they would have literally gone on the day when I went back for my frozen embryo transfer with Lola, eeny meeny miny mo between the two. So they were of similar quality and everything. So they just picked Lola. So now I often wonder who that other person is because we obviously went on to conceive our son Kit naturally. Yeah. So which was a miracle in itself. And in, in, in actual fact, I often think of Kit as our miracle because I just don't know how, it, <laughs> I do know how it happened, but I don't, I, I just, it was such a surprise. It was after everything, it was such a shock. And I really hoped by sharing it on Instagram and, and talking about it openly would give others hope that these, that it can happen. And there is a magic, a magical mystery in conception. So after you had all this happen, you decided to um, pen your first book, which was called Dare to Dream. And actually, I think when we spoke last time, you said that um, you had um, written down all of your experiences from when you were going through this really dark time. I mean, was writing all of those things down a, a really sort of safe space for you? Coming from a musical background, I wouldn't have thought that writing would have been something that I had would grow to love so much. But what happened was, after the miscarriage, I wanted to write down almost immediately everything because I almost was afraid that I would lose connection with what had happened or somehow by writing it down, I would always have it there and it somehow made me feel closer um, to the baby in, in some way. So writing, I just started to really enjoy writing and found it very therapeutic and interestingly I was speaking to my mum and she was saying that she always enjoyed writing things down perhaps it's something we don't do so much of these days Mm. Um, and how lovely it is to receive a handwritten note I went to a neighbour's house recently and sadly she'd lost her husband and all around her kitchen were notes that he used to leave her around the house and it was so moving and you just think to see somebody's handwriting and almost these love little love letters to her now they are worth more than gold you oh, know yeah. so um yeah i think we should all write a bit write a bit more when we've spoken to other mental health writers and things like that they've said that actually they've used that writing as a as a coping mechanism mm. for whatever they were going through at that time mm. you know do you think that was what you did i think with dare to dream it definitely unlocked a lot and I did conceive Kit whilst writing it which I've often wondered whether there was something about releasing that really helped and obviously with mindfulness for mums to be able to write that at a time when I really need a lot of these exercises and these tools to cope with the absolute chaos that is going on with two small children trying to work looking after the house and everything else to be able to write and learn about mindfulness and find these tools and then go home and implement them and practice them with the children has been really uh, therapeutic and a, and a great way to sort of introduce mindfulness to the whole family. Because you'd sort of discovered mindfulness yourself through all of these sort of things that, you know, did you think that actually for my second book, where I really wanted to go was to share this with other people because I... I sometimes believe sometimes mindfulness has a slight misconception because I... A bit of woo-woo. Yeah. 
a bit of woo woo. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, sometimes it's, I've, I've listened to some mindfulness podcasts and re- I, I, I struggle with reading, but like I've, I've read some, I've done some bits and bobs and it just got, some of it just goes over my head. So a lot of my tools and exercises in mindfulness for mums are actually relatable to anybody, many of the exercises. And they really are short, quick, effective exercises. They're not um, what you might stereotypically think of about mindfulness. So, for example, there's one exercise which is called Take Five, uh, where you literally just hold your hand up in front of you like a star print. So your left hand, you hold it up. And with your the first finger of your right hand, you trace your thumb up and you breathe in. And as you breathe out... Uh, you come down the other side of your thumb and then you breathe up on your first finger and out as you come down your first finger and you just carry on through the rest of your hand. So that's five deep breaths. It's tangible. Your hand is always there. It's something you can practice with your children, something they can take ahead with them. Say they've got exams and they're feeling flustered and they need to take five deep breaths. It's connecting our mind with our body because we spend so much time in our head to kind of, bring ourselves back to centre through breathing and through motherhood. I think we are constantly those sort of ducks gliding along the surface, but underneath paddling like crazy and our heads spinning with the mental load and the the to-do list just goes on and on and on. Breathing just connects ourselves back to us. It's just taking that pause. It's not about... um, sitting cross-legged meditating however much I do enjoy doing that (laughs) the the practicality of it is it's difficult to find that time with children so how can we incorporate these these simple exercises into our day um there's another thing called the mindfulness corner which is simply um a space in the house uh for so in Lola's room we've got baskets got a puzzle in a coloring book toy um a book And it gives me another option in moments of tantrums or heated, stressful moments when I can feel my frustrations and everything rising. And Lola's perhaps overtired and being challenging for me to say, go to the mindful corner rather than perhaps go to the naughty step. So it gives me gives me other options as a mum to use that mean when I go to bed at night, it hopefully relieves some of that feeling of, oh, I, did I respond okay to that today? Um, you know, it's it's. There's another one that's uh, called "Calm Begins with Me," where yes, it's yeah. calm begins. It's, it's like I remember that. Yeah. So you just pinch your thumb and your first finger, thumb second, thumb and third, thumb and fourth, and you just say "Calm begins with me." But the idea is of that is that it gives you a moment to step back before you come in, before you go into the chaos. So rather than joining that chaos of your children you can take a moment to pause for you. As mums, we tend to put our own well-being last and actually it's finding these small pockets of time in the day. So if I talk about mindfulness like that, I think it probably has a different feel to what you might think of as mindfulness. No, 100% because I have uh, attention deficit disorder and I really struggle to concentrate on things for such a long time. But the way this book is, is set out, it's not long paragraphs after long paragraphs and things like that oh you must do this you must do that it's like an open invitation to come and just there's a couple of bullet points here there's small paragraphs here and I really like that layout and I'm guessing that was completely intentional exactly because 
let's say, I mean, please don't get me wrong. I lose my <laughs> regularly. Uh, it, I am no, by no means got this sussed, but I do find practicing this really helps. And so I just wanted to set out. Yeah. So in the exercises, there might be an example of why I might use it, then how you use the exercise and then the benefits physically or, or mentally. And they're very simply marked with a single heart if it's for you and then a double heart if it's for the family. As, as I was going to ask you if you could do some, um, what your sort of favourite exercise was, because I think the one I read it, I liked the, the, the rain one. And it was, and I remember because it was about recognising um, a frustration. Yeah and, yeah. and it was so funny because when we came out and did that podcast, in it, and then the podcast didn't work. Did you use rain? <laughs> I recognised what happened. I acknowledged it. Yeah, exactly. Fact, and, I and investigated it. Then I non-identified. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because in 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 actually, the guy from when we recorded it from the in the other studio, he said. You're taking this very well, aren't you? And I says, well, I have just done a podcast about mindfulness, but it it, it is. I mean, for you. What was what would be your favourite? Oh gosh, as someone asked you that before. There, there's so many. I mean, I've done a couple uh, already. I think there's one which um, I'm just trying to think now. You've kind of because there are so many little ones that I enjoy doing. But one like rain. So there's another acronym which is weight which uh, so you just take the, each letter of weight and you it's why am I talking? Mm-hmm. So before you go into a situation where you might feel your temperature, your, your temper has risen or you're frustrated or you're, or you're really upset or you're experiencing an emotion, you can think to yourself, wait, and think, is this what I want to say? Is this how I want to say it? Do I want to go away and just have a little think about this and address this later? For example, with husbands at two o'clock in the morning (laughs) when you're being woken up by babies or whatever. And, you know, it's not he's not done anything wrong, but he's the person there that you could take out on. So it's having that or or even in a work environment or with friends or when you're challenged by something to be mindful, to think, actually, I could jump in here. But maybe it would be better if I just take a moment just to stop. I found that helpful to use. And again, with how I perhaps say things to the children and what they copy from me. You know, that's that is something that's freaked me out as a mum. Well, actually, that that when you say about copying, that is interesting because they say at that age their mind is like a sponge, isn't it? So if, if from that young age, if you're sort of teaching them these tips and these tricks, and because mm. this is this is another thing I was going to ask, is that you know you're not this is not just for mums; it's for the family, and I really yeah. like that. And, yeah. and do you think that's important? For that? Definitely, and and I realised that as I was just practicing these uh, breathing exercises or body scans uh, or um, mindful pauses that Lola just started to copy me. So there's a little routine I do in the morning when I get out of bed and often her little feet have pattered into the bedroom and she's with me when I wake up and there's no easy way into the day. You're, You're up and you're in it straight away. And so I need a moment. I just ground my feet on the floor, um, put my hand on my heart and just take a breath and just think today I choose 
It might be to be kind with myself. It might be to be patient. It might be um, gentle, whatever. And then Lola will just sit there and go, today, mummy, I choose, <laughs> you know. And then we do a mountain pose, which is a yoga pose where you basically stand hip width apart and you lift your arms above your head um, and then bring them back down. It's a great way to wake up all the muscles in your body. And it just means you've given yourself just a moment for you in the morning. And, and Lola will just copy. And I just wanted to incorporate exercises that would help Lola and Kit so that they have these tools should they have to face the kind of things I went through with anxiety and even just the challenges of life and I do body scans with them which I find really useful if we wake up in the middle of the night if one of them has a broken night's sleep we do a body scan and it means I can still stay calm with them rather than my head starting to think about all the to-do lists and everything else and then before I know I can't get back to sleep. So all those sort of tips are in are in the book. I mean, for all of this, this is a huge amount of research from from your part. I mean, how do you, how do you go about and research mindfulness and know when to put it down? Yeah, because you can't really do a sort of degree, as it were. <laughs> yeah. um, I think what I have done, I've read and read and read. I'm interested by trying things out with. The children. So, for example, the other day, I was like, okay, everybody is just um, fractious. So, I just said, right, let's just stand in a circle. Let's hold each other's hands. Let's take a deep breath in. We'll put our hands up. And as we breathe out, we'll bring our hands back down. And it just stopped them. It just distracted them. And it's just figuring out, really. It's looking at these exercises that I've written, but adapting them to how they work for you. What resonates with you? Um, I talk about the weather and emotions. So being outside is quite a mindful thing to do with children. And children are so naturally mindful. And somewhere along the way, we lose we lose it. You know, when we take our walk to work every single day, do we notice really what's around us? Probably not, because we're either distracted by our phones or our heads are, are busy. We don't notice that the leaves are changing from green to brown, but children do. And although it might seem, you know, as an adult, oh, well, I've seen it. If you actually stop with them and actually really look at a leaf for a moment and just be really mindful and present with them and enjoy that with them, they are so fascinated by it. Um, so I, I found it interesting kind of thinking. And I talk about Lola, the principle of, with mindfulness, that nothing stays the same. Thoughts come and go and things change so like with the weather one day it might be horrible and grisly and rainy and gray but the next day the sun might be out and there might be a few clouds and Lola really responds to that because I think it is a language that she can kind of understand and it's starting to explain to her look you know things do change you might be really sad today but let's just see you know this will pass just before um, we finish, I feel calmer just just listening to you talk and just going through like the the those sort of sort of little things anyway, which is great. But if you know you have not just a mum, but if someone is that really busy person who is always on their phone and things like this, and they're really struggling with their mental health, and you know sometimes for some people who have mental health conditions like myself, I think the task of doing something mindful is could be a struggle and you know what do you think is sort of a really 
easy way of getting over a barrier to being more mindful? So like everything in life, mindfulness takes practice. It takes daily practice of just a minute a day, it could be. You could get your phone, set a timer for one minute and sit. Ground yourself into the the chair, plant your feet into the floor, drop your shoulders. And as you breathe in, think the word let. And as you breathe out, think the word go. And just repeat that for a minute. Do you think, I mean, what do you think? Do you think that is a doable start? Yeah. And then you might decide to add in another um, exercise, which obviously there's plenty in the book, but it's not thinking that you need to be perfect at something straight away. It's not about being perfect anyway. It's about being able to become aware of how powerful our minds are, but we're not necessarily thinking about how we're connecting our minds with our bodies and breathing and thinking about how we feel today physically as well as emotionally. And phones are distraction. You know, I don't know about you. I, I can find my phone. Sometimes when I look at my phone more, I realize I'm actually feeling quite anxious and it's almost a bit of a crutch. Um, do you do that thing? I do the thing where I just, if I've got my emails and I'll just press, you know, on, if you've got an iPhone, you can just pull it, pull it down and it'll refresh for more emails. And I sometimes just sit there yeah. like that because I'm going, someone must be emailing me or I've got something to do in it. And, it, and you're right, it does... Yeah. make you a bit more anxious and it does and and if you can't get hold of somebody but I need to get hold of that person and why are they not answering their phone you know if you're feeling mm. anxious or unsettled and they are quite anxiety fueling so I think there's definitely I do I talk in the book about screen boundaries and healthy relationships with technology and how important that is and my my suggestion really would be just start small and just practice a small amount daily just pop it into your routine you know it could be whilst you're waiting for the the kettle to boil for example whilst you're unloading the dishwasher use that as your moment to be really mindful really take in what you're doing um and hopefully over time you will experience reduced symptoms of anxiety and you'll feel calmer and even if you don't suffer with anxiety generally you will feel um well certainly from personal experience just that little bit more peaceful. And, and I know someone that actually does it. They, you said about technology there. They, there's a, I saw someone screenshot on my feed the other day where they, they actually do a mindfulness thing every day with an app. Mm-hmm. Is that another option as well? Yeah, I'm sure yeah. there's plenty yeah. of, of ways to explore. Um, and it's, and it's, and as I've talked about in the book, it's, for example, I've suggested that you put your social icons into one box. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and label the box, think. So that before you go in, you, you you ask yourself, do I want to go in and spend half an hour scrolling? Because let's face it, once we're in, we're pretty hooked. What is my mood like? Is Am I feeling positive? Or could this knock me a little bit by seeing other people's sort of Instagram life that's not always necessarily the reality? Um you know, who, who is on my feed? Who inspires me? Who, who do I feel I'm going to get something from? And if you're feeling a little bit vulnerable, it's probably not the best place to go um, unless it's people that you know are going to uplift you and, and make you feel that bit better. So it's, yeah, it's thinking about 
about and when in the day is a good time you know if you have notif- endless notifications of emails messages whatsapp like we have so many <laughs> ways of people contacting us and if you're with your family and you're or with your children and you're trying to be present with them or you're with family or with friends and your phone is there and it's beeping it's obviously a distraction so turn the notifications off and then turn them back on when you know you've got the time to deal with with the messages and have the time to focus on it. That's something I really have to work on. I really struggle with that, especially kind of working freelance. Mm. I, I have to put those my own boundaries up. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been lovely. As I said, I could literally keep talking. We could just, could, we could just do this all day. Like, but, um, just before we go, I just would like to plug your book a little bit more and tell you where it's, it's out now, isn't it? It is not out now um, from all retail shops and also uh, and I've also recorded an audio book, which I think is quite a nice way with mindfulness for mums and is that, to listen to the episodes. Is that out now? Yes, that's online. out now. Is, is that with lo- or, uh, Audible, Audible and, and all the other, yeah. So you can just basically go there, you can listen to it, you can get it off Amazon or whatever, and then wherever, we're not, we're not the BBC, so we don't, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you don't, we don't have to say all oh, the good books. I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, that's great. But no, that's perfect. Well, um, thank you very much for joining us. I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to say no, before you No, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> if you've been affected by anything you've heard in today's episode, you can get the proper advice you need. We aren't experts, but the Samaritans provide free, confidential support for people experiencing feelings of distress or despair. You can phone them 24 hours a day on 116123 or visiting thesamaritans.org.uk. The Diana Award also provides a crisis messenger service which gives young people 24-hour crisis support across the UK. If you are a young person in crisis, you can text DA for free to 85258. That's DA to 85258.